to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's tan. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, where we give you the inside track on the latest issues, techniques, and equipment trends in the ag industry, reported by our Fast Line Big Ag and Pink Tractor publication. We want to give a special thanks to Nashville recording artist Dustin Collins for our theme song, Working Man. He's a rising star in the country music industry. You can find him online at DustinCollinsMusic.com. On the inaugural edition of Fast Track, we'll speak with Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, about his 2019 outlook for the ag industry. We'll also talk with Ryan Kister, the host of the popular YouTube channel How Farms Work, about an exciting new partnership we've forged with him. And we'll talk with Ag Junction Vice President Doug Marinero about his company's revolutionary new product, Wheelman Pro, and the Hands-Free Farm Initiative. After all that, we'll take you to the Legends stage, presented by the legendary Ernest Tubb Record Shop, where we'll treat you to the music of Way Jennings, grandson of country music royalty, Waylon Jennings. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Fast Track. First up on Fast Track, American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall coming to us today from Washington, D.C. Zippy, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I've been excited about joining you today. So uh, for, for those uh, out there that don't know, briefly explain to me, if you could, what the role of the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation entails. Well, American Farm Bureau is an advocate for our farmers and ranchers across the country, and we're made up of six million members, and my job every day is to uh, in in the policy arena, whether it be at the state level or USDA or or whether it be at the na- national level in Congress or at the White House at the administration, is to represent our farmers' voice using guiding my voice with their policy that they develop. And within that, uh, you do a lot of traveling. Tell me a little bit about what that looks like and uh, maybe how many states you typically visit in a month. Sure. Well, uh, I've been here three years, and I set a goal for the first two years that I was here to travel to all 50 states and visit farms and listen to their issues, and Puerto Rico, all 50 states in Puerto Rico. I accomplished that a year ago last December, and then this last year I've been going back to uh, meetings of our of our farm bureaus, whether it be county meetings or state meetings, and also doing some additional farm visits as uh, different issues pop up to be able to see how it is affecting the farms across America. So it's been very enlightening. It's been an education for this farm boy that thought he knew uh, agriculture, but I just discovered that I just knew my little piece of the world, and and my travels have, have made me uh, very aware of the issues, uh, how they affect every uh, farmers in different regions and different commodities. So it makes my work a lot more valuable with the education that's come along with it. Uh, This year, um, I was able to go to about 10 uh, conventions, uh, state conventions, and visit with farmers. And uh, uh, even though we've had really, really bad economy on the farm side, I still felt farmers that that feel optimistic. I met them, and they still have an optimism for the future, even though that we've had five years of really bad prices. So uh, I'm encouraged by their optimism, 
and 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 looking forward to continue to work with them, try to shape policy that makes that optimism become a reality. Mm-hmm. And as you travel the country and you hear directly from those farmers who make American ag industry go, what, what kind of things are on their mind these days? Well, on top of their mind uh, was the farm bill, and of course we were able to get that through Congress. Uh, and then, of course, the largest, uh, the biggest problem that faces uh, American agriculture uh, in its uh, across regions and across commodity lines is the lack of labor. Uh, it's the biggest limiting factor that American agriculture has. Uh, it not only limits our uh, ability to uh, produce more, it also limits their ability to bring young people into the business and bring our children and grandchildren back to the business because if you bring them in, you got to generate more and to generate more you got to have more labor and the labor force is not there so uh, those two things and then of course trade is the top of everybody's mind where, where we're going to go with china and can we develop those relationships with japan european union and uk uh, that we've been talking about with the administration uh, infrastructure is a big one that's what sets us apart from uh, the other agricultural production parts of the world our infrastructure uh, allows us to deliver quality goods on time, which the rest of the world sometimes cannot do. Uh, broadband is important to our our uh, our countryside because uh, broadband is not just a, a luxury anymore; it's a necessity. And most of the mechanical technologies that are coming to our farms require broadband. So uh, to be able to do that is is very important. And then not least of all, but still just as important, is to continue to chisel away at the uh, burdensome load of regulations that we carry on our back and, and having a new proposed waters of the U.S. ruling to identify us what really is uh, waters of the U.S. is a move in the right direction, and we're excited about that. So tell me a little bit about what the American Farm Bureau Federation is doing to address some of the concerns that you just talked about from a lobbying perspective. I know you've got a uh, really powerful lobby there in Washington, D.C. Uh, I understand a couple of your folks have uh, recently uh, won, won some awards for uh, uh, their work there. Tell me a little bit about how you guys are kind of digging in and, and uh, getting into the ear of some of these elected officials from uh, around the country. So we take our uh, farmers' policy book that they uh, go through the process, and it really starts in August at the county level, comes through their state to the national level, and we finalize that at our national convention in New Orleans, and also will be our 100th year anniversary. Uh, so we take that policy book, uh, and we have employees here at American Farm Bureau that are registered lobbyists, and they lobby on, at Congress, and we continue to work with our congressmen and senators to educate them on how the policies that they are considering, how they will affect uh, farmers and ranchers, uh, regardless of what that issue might be. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we work with USDA a lot on implementing those policies after they become laws, uh, and also are able to uh, target some difficulties and try to find some fixes in those difficulties. And then, of course, uh, to reach on to the administration. Uh, we stay involved with wherever we have a seat, and with this administration, we've been very pleased to have a seat at just about every table. Uh, we work, work with USTR on trade issues, uh, USDA, uh, 
uh, with the administration itself. I've had meetings with the president and vice president to talk about issues around agriculture uh, and be able to push their policies forward. So uh, it's, it's been it's an exciting time to be in Washington. A lot of things are happening. And really and truly, even though the economy is bad in, in farmland and most farmers are looking to get 2018 in the rearview mirror, uh, it's been a very successful year as far as uh, uh, policies that around agriculture and rural America uh, that we've been working on. So uh, we've had a good year as far as policy-wise. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, with challenges become uh, a lot of opportunities. And I uh, uh, just kind of wanted to get your sense of what some of the big opportunities you see are that are on the horizon for farm operators in 2019. So we, we, uh, we're, we're uh, optimistic that we may have an opportunity to continue to speak to uh, farm labor issues. Uh, we know that immigration and border security and uh, total immigration reform uh, is going to be a topic so that we hope that in that discussion that we can highlight the difficulties that we're having with farm labor and be able to find some solutions uh, to those issues. Um, uh, we got closer last year uh, with uh, Mr. Goodlatte's uh, Farm Act bill than we've ever we've been in probably uh, two decades of having a solution that would move forward in Congress. So uh, we think that's an opportunity. Another great opportunity we have, we've got a lot of new congressmen and senators coming in town, and so that gives us a new face and a new personality to get to know, uh, develop a relationship with them, let them understand who we are here at Farm Bureau, and that we're here to help them make wise decisions about how they affect farmers and ranchers in rural America. So we look at that as an opportunity. Uh, we think infrastructure is going to be an opportunity and, and broadband. Uh, you know, in this farm bill that was just passed, uh, there's $600 million that's going to go to USDA that's going to help uh, expand broadband into rural parts of the country. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's called their uh, uh, Broadband Connect, Reconnect. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to working with them to make sure that uh, we hit the areas that are necessary to do. So there's a lot of opportunities. Trade, we think there's going to be big opportunities in trade. We're hearing now that... Uh, the soybeans are going to be bought uh, by China, and we're eager to see how much they're willing to buy and where the next 90 days in those discussions go. Uh, and we're here to assist the administration and USDA in whatever manner we can to make sure that those things happen in a positive way for rural America and farmers and ranchers. So as we get ready to head into 2019, what are some of the key items on the American Farm Bureau Federation agenda? Uh, well, uh, one of the key things is we're going to develop those relationships with those new congressmen and senators coming to town. We're going to welcome them with open arms and let them uh, uh, be part of the Farm Bureau family and understand uh, what we're doing when we come and see them. Uh, we're going to be focusing on trade. We're going to be focusing on uh, deregulation. Uh, where we, we don't want to do away with all regulations. We just want to bring common sense to regulation. We want to push broadband. Uh, we want to make sure that we uh, try to fix some of our labor issues. Uh, and, and, uh, and those are the issues we're going to be focused on. But immediately we're going to be focused on annual convention and celebrating our 100th year uh, at American Farm Bureau. And you bring up a good point there. The 2019 American Farm Bureau Federation Annual Convention and Trade Show is going to be held January 11th through 16th in New Orleans. I understand there is going to be some TED-style talks uh, on the cultivations at the center stage there. Uh, what kind of topics are going to be discussed? Well, we'll, 
we'll talk about uh, the issues that we're going to be facing this year and, and probably have some talks about all those issues that I just mentioned. Uh, uh, hopefully have some guest speakers uh, that will surprise our guests there. Uh, Secretary Perdue will be at our convention and be part of our keynote uh, section in the general session. Uh, we're excited about him being there. Um, uh, the new Ag Entrepreneur Challenge uh, will be held, and we have got it down to some of our finalists, and our, our uh, attendees will be voting on who will win uh, that challenge. Uh, so it's just going to be a real exciting time. We're going to celebrate that 100 years. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've had as successes the last 100 years, and then we're going to talk about what we're going to break through into this next 100 years and what Farm Bureau will look like and what those challenges will be. On Saturday, January 12th, there will be a women's leadership networking event, which is of interest to a lot of the, the readers of our Pink Tractor publication, which is geared toward women in ag. As 2019 begins, what does the landscape look like for women in agriculture? Well, it's huge. Women are come, becoming more and more a part of agriculture each and every day. You see more and more of them farming and making the decisions day in and day out. And we see a, a, a big increase of women being some of our most productive advocates. They, they're the ones that will respond, and and uh, and the, the amount of women that are, are increasing in that area are, are tremendous, and we welcome that and look forward to even doing more with them. We Next year we're going to expand our boot camp. We have a boot camp every year for women to come in and uh, uh, sharpen their skills to be advocates for agriculture, whether it be uh, in a person-to-person visit or interview or a TV interview. Uh, we're going to expand that and do two sessions of it next year. So, you know, not only do we push policy, we also do a lot of leadership development here through young farmers, uh, women's uh, promotion and education. So uh, we're real proud of those programs and are excited to see them grow. On that front, uh, I know one of the hot-button topics that uh, keeps coming up in, in our work is the uh, – uh, just the need for succession planning and, and kind of gearing up farms for the next generation of farmers coming uh, online here. What do what 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 is the uh, Farm Bureau's role in, in trying to bring everybody to the table to uh, uh, prepare the next generation of farmers and and also help to uh, uh, kind of address some of these labor issues that you mentioned earlier? So you know, from uh, working on the farm bill to make sure that they increase. Funding for beginning farmers is one of them. Uh, we're also um, uh, the boot camp that I just explained about a women's boot camp and expanding that. We also want to make sure that, uh, and I'm trying to reach out to other areas of agriculture that traditionally hadn't been the mainstream of Farm Bureau, and that's uh, organic and locally grown. We would love for those people that's involved in that sector of agriculture to find a home in Farm Bureau because uh, when they come, when we get all sectors of agriculture to the table, our policy book becomes more uh, representative of American agriculture. So we want to be inclusive and make sure that that happens. Uh, Young farmers and ranchers, uh, uh, as far as uh, trying to find uh, a new uh, 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 improved way to find labor to come to our farm so that we can expand our our, uh, our operations and bring not just our children and grandchildren, but new people that want to get involved in agriculture. You know, the entrepreneurship uh, uh, challenge that we have brings new people to agriculture, young people. 
so there's just so many different ways, and every time we get an opportunity, we try to do that. You know, and we start them young, too. We are heavily involved with FFA and 4-H. We have memorandum agreements with both of those national organizations and making sure that we're promoting their uh, their uh, programs uh, and encouraging their people to uh, pick uh, Farm Bureau to, to as an area that they want to do their volunteer time and be an advocate for agriculture. So we're shaping and forming them and trying to uh, find what the new uh, next member is going to be that's going to be the advocate for Farm Bureau. And then, of course, we're trying to encourage young people to uh, to go into agriculture and use that as a career. So we're involved in the, the introducing agriculture as a career for students, not just in high school, but in, in college through our collegiate uh, activities. On the January 17th episode, we'll have the second part of our discussion with American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall. We'll talk China, USMCA, hours of service rules, and rural broadband expansion. So be sure to join us to hear his thoughts on where he sees the ag industry headed in 2019. Fastline has forged a partnership with Scottsdale, Arizona-based equipment manufacturer Ag Junction, which is in the process of rolling out a revolutionary new piece of technology, Wheelman Pro. It's a GPS auto steering system every farmer can afford and every farmer can install in less than an hour using simple tools and a smartphone or tablet. It even works on older model tractors and is built to withstand the rigors of the field. It is estimated that the device can save farmers $15 an acre each season. With cost savings like that, Wheelman Pro will pay for itself in short order. We had a chance to catch up with Doug Marinero, Vice President of Strategy for Ag Junction, who explained how farmers can benefit from the hands-free farm movement. So tell me a little bit about how Wheelman came to be. What was what was the impetus for the creation of the project, and uh, what kind of applications do you see this being successful in? Well, Ag Junction's the auto steering company, and our vision is to bring auto steering to everyone and everything. But auto steering has been just the domain of the world's largest farms, about 200,000 of them around the world. And we saw the opportunity to bring auto steering, which is the heart of precision agriculture and the key to prosperity for farmers, to every farm in America and eventually the rest of the world. And this Wheelman product is the one that does that. And uh, the key thing about Wheelman is really affordable productivity. The USDA has shown that a farmer farming corn can save about $15 per acre just by auto steering. And that comes from reducing overlap and being able to farm faster. That reduces your input costs, reduces the labor time, and it also cuts down on the, on the hours on your equipment that you have out there in the, in the farm. And so with that $15 an acre savings, we figured if we could go through and get a product that we could price under $3,500, we could make auto steering now accessible to all farms at around 250 acres or more. And so we created Wheelman. Wheelman is the first auto steering product. Typically they cost $10,000, $15,000 out there. We price it almost like a third of that. But it's the first auto steering product that's been designed for all the small farmers in America. Now the larger farmers have been coming up to us and saying, well, that's great. I got auto steering, but I don't have it on my sprayer. Or I don't have it on all my older tractors. I think I'm going to go buy two or three more Wheelman to go ahead and put it on all these other tractors out there as well. The interesting thing about Wheelman is we're actually selling this online. So one of the challenges that smaller farmers have oftentimes is getting the attention of the dealers. Farmers, just like everybody else, shop at Amazon and shop at Walmart.com and so forth. We thought, why couldn't they go through and shop for their auto steering in an online environment as well? 
So Wheelman is actually available to them through handsfreefarm.com. Um, because we're selling it on the internet, we're going to be mostly marketing this thing online. But we think it's really important for farmers to see what Wheelman's all about. And uh, when somebody places an order, what kind of turnaround time are they looking at before they are able to uh, get it in hand and, and get it on their equipment? Uh, days. I mean, it's the internet, right? You order the thing, you expect it to go ahead and show up. So as soon as you place your order, put your credit card in, we ship it to you. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, just the ease of installation of the product. Yeah, so Wheelman, because you brought up purchase over the internet, you're not going to have a dealer to help you. We knew we had to make this really simple for the farmer to be able to install and use. So we created the first DIY auto steering product. So Wheelman not only gives you the ROI, it also is a DIY type of product. And uh, with Wheelman, you open up the box, and it comes with a simple set of instructions. And you, it's an electric steering system. So you pull your steering wheel off, and you install the Wheelman system. The hardest part is probably getting that steering wheel off. But once you got that off, it can take you about 5, 10 minutes to go through and install it. And we made it as hassle-free as possible. So we made it really simple for the Wheelman to get updated. Wheelman itself, um, the smarts of the system um, are in the unit itself, but the display it just uses your Android or your iPhone that you already have in your back pocket. Or if you don't have one and you want to get yourself a tablet, it actually works on the uh, Kindle Fire tablet from Amazon for 50 bucks. Um, so you go ahead and you install that tablet, the Android or the iPhone, or you go ahead and use that, and it takes you three easy steps to calibrate the wheelman, and then you're up and running. Set the A-B line and you're off to go. Works on, on uh, farm fields, no matter what they look like. If you have hilly fields, it can do contours as well. So you can go ahead and follow the terraces if you need to. Um, and it's just a great all-around system. Makes it a lot easier for the farmers to go ahead and keep that straight line and to get those kind of savings. One of the interesting things we learned about Wheelman, we first took it out at the Farm Progress Show. Um, we kept talking about the savings you get. And I had this farmer who came in and said, well, I appreciate the savings that I get. But, you know, for me, the key thing is just the fatigue. If I've been farming all day long, I'm, I'm just tired. And if I can use this system to go ahead and steer for me, then it's going to make my life a lot easier. One farmer came in, he said, you know, I thought auto steering wasn't going to be for me, but I got it in one of my tractors, and all of a sudden, I could eat my lunch. I could read a book. And the good thing is it beeps at me when it gets to the headland, so it goes and reminds me to go ahead and turn it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be paying attention. Now, we know farmers are on the tractors are paying attention to a lot of different things. They're watching what's happening with their implement. They're watching what's happening, you know, with, the, with what they're seeing is happening on their crops and, and everything that's going on on the farm at that time, and they need to be able to pay attention to that. Um, but this lets them focus on the farming instead of on the steering. So let the wheelman steer for you. That's our, that's our motto. So I'm sure there's some people listening that wonder, okay, now I've got it in hand. I've put it on. What kind of support do you guys offer with this unit? Yeah, so the support is available online or by a phone call, or just a phone call away. Again, one of the cool things about Wheelman, in terms of making it hassle-free, we also made it really smart. So the Wheelman is a connected device, and that means that your support people who are on the other end of the phone call can see what's happening in your Wheelman all the time. So if people want to learn more about the product, where can they go? So Wheelman's available at handsfreefarm.com. So we're launching the hands-free revolution. And if you go to handsfreefarm.com, you can learn all about Wheelman. And that's Doug Marinero, Vice President of Strategy for Ag Junction, representing Wheelman. Next up, we're talking with Ryan Kister, creator and host of the popular YouTube show How Farms Work, which has nearly 200,000 subscribers and is growing rapidly. Ryan, welcome into the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, if you could tell us a little bit about your family's farming operation there in Potosi, Wisconsin. Yeah. So we are 
a beef and crop farm. We operate on roughly 1,000, 1,200 acres, and um, we're right here in Potosi, Wisconsin, farming away. Um, we just transitioned to beef and crop from dairy in 2014. Uh, before then, my grandparents ran the farm, and they started the farms back early in the 50s. Ryan, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar or haven't checked out his show, is very adept at the use of technology such as GoPro cameras and drones to kind of pull back the curtain on his family's farming operation. Tell us a little bit about when you were bitten by the tech bug. Oh, that was probably back in middle school is when I first got into it. Um, I got my hands on my first camera and I just played around with it and I loved it. So um, later on in my college years, I just got to thinking, you know, YouTube was just starting to become a thing more and more popular, actually. And um, I, there weren't too many YouTube videos about farming on YouTube or anywhere online, for that matter. So I just kind of got to thinking between my classes during college, and I'm like, what would people like to see? So I just started my own YouTube channel talking about random things around the farm, uh, explaining what different things are. And over time, it just grew. Um, it wasn't like an overnight thing. But uh, just gradually, more and more people started watching, and now we're up to close to 200,000 subscribers, and we're going to be passing it any time now. So uh, when you look at that 200,000 number, does it surprise you that that many people, A, are looking at it, but B, it seemed to actually really engage in it? You've really developed this cult following with what you're doing there. Yeah, I don't think it really surprises me. Uh, I know that there are people out there who would be interested in watching farming, not just anything on our operation. Uh, I knew that the viewers would be out there. It's just kind of getting everyone's attention and realizing that, you know, more of the farming content is out there. And over time, it's just grown. Um, now I know that there are a lot of people interested in farming, and that's one of the goals behind the YouTube channel is to incite interest in continuing farming because it's farming is something that's uh, not too many people are doing anymore. Uh, there's fewer and far, fewer and fewer farms every year, and um, the more interest in farming there is, I think, the better. So how do you balance being a camera guy, a director, and a host with the actual farming that you guys do on a daily basis? Uh, it's actually pretty easy to balance. Um, I carry around lightweight cameras, so uh, they don't really bother me too much. Some I can just attach onto my head or uh, just set them down anywhere, and I can record what we're doing. It really doesn't take much more effort. Um, on my part to get the footage and uh, the, probably the biggest thing is finding the time to edit them all because some, sometimes during the year we are particularly busy uh, especially in the spring and fall during planting and harvesting and then that can cause some late nights because you're out in the field after midnight and then you still got to go home and work on some videos and uh, I like to stick to a schedule so uh, get done what needs to be done no matter what the time. So how do you choose what the subjects of the videos are going to be, or is it just a matter of if you see something that catches your eye while you're farming during the day and then uh, decide that you're going to make a video? Uh, tell me a little bit about how that creative process works. Yeah, I'd say it's probably closer along the line of I just see something that we're doing and I just start recording it. Um, I think, oh, people might find this interesting, or if we're doing a project around the farm, like, uh, cleaning out the barnyard or, you know, starting planting or right now we're working on my tractor trailer. I just bought a semi and um, we're fixing that up. So that's kind of become a project and I've been just kind of keeping people up to date on how that's coming along. So what do you hope that the viewers, especially younger viewers, will come away with after watching these episodes? I hope that they all learn something. I try to be insightful 
as insightful as I can. I try to think of ahead of any questions that people might have about anything around the farm. Um, and sometimes when I don't catch something, a lot of times other YouTubers will comment down on the video about it. Um, but I try to really just educate people on, you know, even safety. I try to tell people uh, things around the farm to watch out for. Where, where do you see how farms work going from here? Uh, I think I plan on just taking my channel wherever it's going to keep going. Um, I never really saw a million subscribers as a possibility, but I can see it sometime in the future. Um, we're just gradually ticking up, and I think that as long as I keep doing um, making YouTube videos, that eventually we'll hit that mark. Well, you're well on your way, and we want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us on this episode of Fast Line Fast Track. That was Ryan Kister, the host of the popular YouTube series, How Farms Work. Be sure to subscribe to his channel, then check him out at howfarmswork.com. With business out of the way, now it's time to play. We take you to the Legend Stage, presented by Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It was the stage once graced by Hank Williams, Elvis, Patsy Cline, and Garth Brooks, and now it's home to the artists featured on Fast Line, Fast Track. This week, we hear from Way Jennings, the grandson of country music legend Waylon Jennings, and a rising superstar in his own right. So, Way, everybody talks about you being the grandson of Waylon Jennings, but aside from that, what made you want to pick up a mic and do this as a career? Well, my mama, uh, my, my mom got sick about seven years ago, and she passed about six years ago. So, uh, she asked me to do some of my music, so I told her I would try. And it took me a year after she passed to even try it. And believe it or not, the first show I did was David Allen Cole Benefit out in Louisville, Kentucky. So. And I got a bunch of publicity off of that, and I've been playing ever since. What was it like being on stage the first time, just grabbing that mic and going for it? It was wild. I mean, there was a lot of people there. I mean, it was a cool place. It was at the Heart of Fire Church in Louisville. Uh-huh. And uh, I was playing with Dallas Moore and, uh, yeah. and uh, Confederate Railroad, David Allen Cole, and some local bands. So it was, it was a good experience. It was a real good experience for the first experience. <laughs> So even though you'd seen it done for years, what have you learned on the road that uh, helps you as a performer? Uh, just make sure you got enough money to put gas in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. Other than that, I'm still learning. I make mistakes every once in a while. Well, I make more mistakes than I get it right. <laughs> so you play these shows and people shout out requests. What kind of things do they ask you for in concert? Uh, mostly Waylon. You know, my grandfather's music, it resonates good with a lot of people. So, And I give it to him. I mean, I love, I love singing my grandfather's music. I love singing my own music too, and uh, I got a few songs I do just because I like them, you know. And uh, I just do what I can, man. Aside from Waylon, who were some of your other musical influences? Uh, of course, David Allen Cole, uh, Hank Williams Jr. Um, I like Hank Three a lot. Um, a good friend of mine who's helped me a lot through the through the years has been uh, Jackson Taylor. Um, I'm a Skinner fan myself. I mean, I like old rock, old country, old classic rock, that kind of feel. I'm a country rock and blues kind of artist. You know, I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> but mostly, I'd have to say my grandfather, he's, he's been my biggest influence. But uh, there's just too many to count, man. I've got a lot of influences. So before you got into music, you did some farming. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, let's see, when I was 26 years old, I left Grand Prairie, Texas, and I moved out to Lubbock, get to know my daddy and my grandfather's side of the family, you know what I mean? And uh, 
My dad was, was living out there behind my Uncle Bo, which is my grandfather's youngest brother. First thing he asked me was, you got any boots, boy? <laughs> and that, that was the last, from that day forward, I started working for a living. So you were telling me you did that for 10 years. What did that experience teach you? It taught me to do something else. No, <laughs> no it taught me how to work. It taught me how to, how to be responsible, how to be at work on time, how to stick it, stick it out, man. Harvest is a hard deal, man. You're working 18 hours a day. You know, you go home, you blink, you get back up, and you go back at it, you know. And your family and friends still farm? Oh, yeah. I got all, all the people I farmed with before, they're still doing it, yeah. The Brian Bentley and... Uh, and Kevin Bentley, they were my bosses out there. They owned Bentley Farms, Paleo Farms, and they rented, uh, they had land, landlords too that they rented from. We farmed all together about 4,000 acres. Yeah, so, and there was only about five of us. <laughs> well, Wade, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. You've got your guitar player, Nick Giese, here. So if you don't mind, step up to that mic and... Uh, let her rip, man. Give us some whaling. Give us some way. And uh, just have at it, man, here on Fast Line, Fast Track.
its beauty cuts just like a knife. Some say it even grows in the wintertime, blooms in the dead of the night. Awesome. Yes. I got one of my grandfather's songs. One of my favorites he does. Now I'm going to do one of my songs called Midnight New Mexico. That's awesome, man. Well, we sure appreciate uh, having you on the podcast, and man, you're welcome anytime. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Be sure to join me next time on Fast Line, Fast Track. I'll have the second part of my interview with American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall, as well as agricultural economist David Widmer, who will share his insights on the farm economy in 2019. We'll also hear music from rising country star J.D. Shelburne. So come back and make sure you bring a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line, Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, 
Visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com.